Welcome to the Power of a Woman podcast. This podcast is centered around helping you reclaim and finding yourself as a woman, connecting with how you want to feel in your life and body, and changing the narrative on not only how we approach health for women, but also how we treat ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves. I'm so grateful you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back. This week, I'm super excited for our guest. I have been bugging you for a couple months now to chat with you. So we have Dr. Amy Apigian. She is the owner of Trauma Healing Accelerated. And I found you through our practitioner network and in hearing you speak. And I loved the conversation that you were having. And I felt like it was something that was so necessary to just get out for more people to hear. And One of the biggest things that resonated, I think, was talking about how, you know, trauma is physiological. And a lot of times, even myself, get caught in the pattern of thinking this is just a mental thing, right? And we don't necessarily, even, you know, after being in the industry for 15 plus years myself, it took me a long time to really see like, oh, the traumas that I've experienced are manifesting in my body. And it was always just, well, what supplement should I take? And what test should I do? And what food should I eat? And never correlating back to, well, how are these things showing up and where do I need to focus there too? So I really appreciated your conversation. So I would love to, you know, take that to the podcast and have you tell a little bit of your story and and introduce what led you to it. Oh, thank you, Brooke. Well, I'm excited to be here. And this is, I think, very important information because I think that most of us, like you say, have misunderstood trauma. And for many, especially, you know, for people who have been under a lot of stress, they, they've seen it as stress and not realizing, oh, like, no, actually what your body's going through is a trauma response. So just being able to have this conversation, open people's eyes to recognizing when their body's in a trauma response. And then my goodness, yeah, talk about solutions, because then we have tools, we have options, we have hope, and we can create a, a different tomorrow for ourselves. But such an important conversation, Brooke, and I, and I so appreciate and love what you're doing in the world. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to, to doing this? Yeah, I was not ever going to do this. This was probably the furthest thing from my mind. In fact, when I thought of even becoming a psychiatrist or anything that dealt with feelings and emotions, like, ah, oh, that, like, that sounded like the worst job in the world. So of all the medical fields that I knew I was not going to go into after medical school. Psychiatry was top of the list. I was not going to do anything that involved feelings and emotions. I was someone who was very much, uh, very active, always loved to be doing things. And so I did choose surgery as the residency. I ended up switching residencies uh, a couple of years into it. But what started me into this path and of trauma was adopting Miguel from the foster care system while I was in medical school. And I had just finished up my master's in biochemistry. And I had a few months time where there was just ah, a little bit of a pause for me before I jumped back into the rotations of being in the hospital as a third year medical student. And so I had this idea of becoming a foster parent Had always kind of maybe felt, felt, I wouldn't say called is necessarily the right word, but just felt Felt like I had a heart for kids that were hurting, didn't know why, hadn't even thought to explore that yet in my own life. And so I jumped through all the hoops to become a foster parent. And then that phone call comes that you will never forget, right? 
that uh, we have this boy and this is his story and this is how old he is and this is why he needs a home. And without a doubt, it was just like, well, of course, of course, I'll take him. And then over the following few months, it became very clear that kind of the consequences to him of what would happen if I did not adopt him, if he did not make it with me. And those were some pretty harsh realities to look at what the rest of his life, even just the immediate, like where he would go next if he didn't make it with me, because he had already been through and failed so many homes. Yeah. And that's what led me to make this commitment to him to adopt him, knowing that, my goodness, like we had a we had a lot against us, you could say, because obviously I am in medical school. I'm a single parent. And though I will say that I thought I knew what he needed. I thought I understood trauma enough to know that he just needed me to love him. He just needed love. That's ah, he just needed love, Brooke. And he needed time, right? So he needed time, he needed stability, but most of all, he just needed love. And over the following months when he was with me, we had that initial honeymoon period. But then I noticed that actually my love and time were only making things worse for him. He wasn't getting better just with love and time. And so that's what prompted me to go on this quest, this journey, this search for what is going on, what is going on in his brain, what's going on in his body, and what do I need to do? Who do I need to become? What does he need to have some change and some solutions in his life? Because I I wanted him to have some years of happiness in his childhood. Yeah. So that's what started all of this. And then from there, it just, my goodness, it just snowballed and snowballed until it actually became my own health and my own body and my own journey to discover, well, why do I have trauma patterns in my health if I have nothing like Miguel's history? And can this even be rewired as an adult now that this has been years, decades in the making, and it's finally showing up in symptoms and diagnoses and conditions? Can this even be? changed can all this damage you know from to my body from chronic trauma patterns be changed as an adult i didn't know at the time and so that was that was part of what was my journey and ultimately led me to leave the surgery residency and decide that i was going to create my own field of medicine and call it attachment trauma and addictions and so i am board certified in preventive medicine and addiction medicine now double board certified and have used that as a way to further understand trauma and its effects on our body. I love that. What an awesome story, though, to to lead you down that path, too. We have friends that foster and the behind the scenes is is tough. But I think, you know, when you can take something like that and you can really learn and understand how the body's really, you know, taking things in, how it's impacting future. And I think anybody who is experiencing trauma in some way, shape or form is probably going to compare. Right. And it's not like you said, right. It, it may not be the extreme case, right. Well, there's always extreme cases of things, but there's also chronic cases of things too. Right. I think it'd be really awesome for you to touch on. Some people might not even realize that they've experienced trauma, right? Like what is trauma really when someone's experiencing, what's the difference between trauma and stress and how is someone really going to know which one is which? And that is so important to understand because literally I have people coming to me still, still 
who only see stress in their life. And they and they say, you know, like, oh, I, I, I'm stressed. I'm stressed over this. I'm stressed over that. And even this week, I released my podcast episode on this very topic of, I interviewed one of the people that I've trained now to help me run my courses. And this is Rhonda. She's a Chicago policewoman. And Brooke, her whole story is, I didn't think I had trauma. And I'm like, you're a policewoman in Chicago. <laughs> like, yeah. Anybody else yeah. knows that you've had trauma. And she's like, no, I didn't think I had trauma. Like, you know, my best friend dies, you know, on, on the job, like, but that wasn't trauma. That was just stress. And I'm like, wow. Like we undervalue so much of the experiences that we go through. We can see it in other people, yes. but we have a harder time seeing it in ourselves. So we need to understand the difference in between stress and trauma, as far as what's happening in the body so that we can then look back in our life and see, oh yeah, no, that that actually was my body going into a trauma response at that time. That was not just stress. And then looking at our life starting today, moving forward, being able to recognize when our body's going into that trauma place, not it's not just stress. Yeah. Now, the major difference in how we can feel the difference between stress and trauma is our energy level, which is fascinating because most times people think, oh, I'm stressed. And so I'm, I'm exhausted. Mm, that's actually not stress. You, that's actually the trauma response. So yeah. the stress response and the trauma response are very, uh, they're very programmed neurobiological sequences that happen in our body. These are not something that need to be taught. They just happen. <laughs> in fact, you wouldn't have survived as a baby if these weren't already programmed into you. Yes. That's how essential they are to your survival. So it's not like you can think your way out of this or you can analyze enough and understanding enough to change it. It's just something that is happening in your body as a survival mechanism. And when we have a trigger, whatever that trigger is, you'll feel your energy level go up and you can feel that initial, like whether it feels like anger, whether it feels like defensive, whether it feels like whoa, I need to get out of here. Whatever it is, like you do feel that initial burst of energy and that energy comes from adrenaline. And so adrenaline is always that first step in both that, what we call a startle response of, oh, I heard a sound. Oh, I see something and I don't yet know if it's a danger, but then the next second of my system based on again, gathering more information, because now I'm hyper-focused on that. If it gathers more information and says, yeah, this is a real danger. We get even more of an adrenaline rush. Now, the whole purpose of adrenaline is to get us into movement, is for us to take action. And yeah. so it shunts blood away from our gut because now's not the time to be digesting. You need to move. And so our blood flow changes, our blood pressure changes, our heart rate changes. Everything that changes in our body is for one purpose, and that is to help us take action. What happens is that for many people, they don't find themselves taking action in response to a problem in their life. And that's because their body is programmed to already get overwhelmed with that stress. And when we go into that place of overwhelm, Oh, like even, even as I'm talking about it, I can feel my own energy just kind of like, oh, <laughs> like drop. And, and you can recognize it even by your posture. So your, your posture will go into one of like your, your shoulders slumping, your head comes down. You might recognize it by the shame posture. 
And it feels like your body just became really heavy. It feels like your body just, I don't know, it's like someone unplugged some something in your body and all your energy just drained out the bottom of you. That's what it feels like when the body goes into this trauma response. Now you can still have the adrenaline there because it doesn't magically go away. But what has happened is that there's a more powerful survival program that has kicked in. And we call that survival program, the dorsal vagal response or the freeze response. And if we were driving a car, the stress response would be the equivalent of having your foot all the way down on the accelerator pedal. So like pedal to the metal, you are pushing your car to the max and you know, you're burning fuel, you're, you're burning a lot of fuel, but you're, you're in movement. Like you are actually the most alive, the most energetic when you are in the stress response. And then if your body gets overwhelmed by that, doesn't think it can make it, then it kicks in that other survival mechanism that is stronger than the accelerator pedal which is your emergency brake. And so it's like your body throws on the emergency brake. Everything screeches to a halt. You feel that energy drain and you feel overwhelmed. Now you're still recognizing, oh, but I feel anxious. I have this problem. Yes, but ah, you're not having the energy of the stress response anymore. You're having the heaviness. You're having the exhaustion of the trauma response. So I kind of interchange overwhelm and trauma response so that people can understand that when you hear yourself say words of overwhelm, like, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. Those are only thoughts that come when your body is in a trauma response. And we can more easily recognize overwhelm. And when we know that that overwhelm is the trauma response, we can start to recognize more and more when our body has actually gone into a trauma response, not just a stress response. There's so much there that as you're saying that I'm like, oh yeah, this and then that. And um, it's funny too, because we will, when we see this all the time with clients, right? When we're talking, when we see their adrenal tests, when we go through their day-to-day, when we go through food choices and things, I can see it now in a client's like energy and their reaction responses and what we're talking about. And I see it with like, well, you know, prepping food is overwhelming. And I'm like, okay, it's not the food that's the issue, right? A lot of times people think it's the food. I'm like, it's not the food. There's something else happening in the scenario that's leading you to feel overwhelmed by the idea of prepping food right? Because prepping food itself is actually really simple. When simple tasks sound overwhelming, then that's exactly. when there's something else that we need to look at in there. And there's a lot of people who come into my program and what they say, the words that they use that tell me that they spend a lot of time in this trauma response is when I wake up in the morning, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to face my day. I'm yeah. already overwhelmed by my day. And it hasn't even started yet. It's like, wow, we are so in this trauma response that we're waking up already in the trauma response. Now, usually what happens is because we do have to get up, we do have lives, we do have work, we do have responsibilities. Then what we do is we actually have to create stress for ourselves. We have to give ourselves adrenaline to push past that overwhelm and get up and do things. So people will start to procrastinate. They'll wait in bed as long as possible until now they're so late that they have to rush. Well, what did they do? They just created adrenaline for themselves to give themselves the energy or their cup of coffee is waiting for them (laughs) or 
you know, there's so many things that we can do to reach for that energy when we're waking up in a trauma response and already feel overwhelmed by our days. I think one thing that people can do too, is they can compare. I have done this. So I lost my dad almost nine years ago now to cancer. It was a very short thing and it was very traumatic to to watch what happened in that time frame. And I had somebody a few years after that diagnosed me with PTSD. And I almost felt guilty for that diagnosis because I was like, but my I had a brother that was a Marine, right? Like he saw way more stuff than I did. And all I really thought of was like military vet being diagnosed with PTSD. And I kept thinking like what I experienced, like everybody loses a parent, right? And I was like, I didn't think it was as serious as being diagnosed with that. And I had to really learn to not compare, right? The trauma that I experienced to traumas that other people experience and that you know, what my body went through still was a trauma and what I experienced in that time frame. And my body responded in a certain ways, right? And there, I think going back to it's the going back to the foster thing, right? There's more extreme cases and, and and not, but you can't compare what you're going through. So I think if anybody's listening and you're comparing, right, or resisting the idea that it might be that, I think it's important to just acknowledge that like you can't look at what somebody else experienced and look at those two things. But the other thing that I see too, when you know when we're working with clients and they are feeling that way, sometimes when we're starting with people, I'm like, I can notice it. And I'm like, all right, we're going to take a really slow approach in going through these things, right? We're going to take this layer by layer and we're going to just focus on one thing at a time. And that can almost be frustrating for people to hear because we're in the stage of everybody wants everything in three months and people are like, what's the next plan, Right. So I think sometimes, is it normal, I guess, when someone's in that kind of a state to want the predictability of what's coming next too? Ooh, that's, you've hit on something really important because what the trauma response needs in order to come out. So when the body has gone into a trauma response, what it needs to come out is a sense of safety. And our greatest sense of safety comes from predictability. Yeah. And so much so that people will even stay in toxic relationships because it's predictable for them. They know how the other person will react. They know what games they need to play. They know what to say and when not to say. And even though it's toxic and it's harmful to them in so many other ways, because it's predictable, they do find an element of safety. And so they feel that it is safer to stay there than to face the unknown of the big wide world out there and I'm all alone and I don't know how to navigate anything else. That to me looks unpredictable. So let me stay in this toxic but predictable place because predictability does give us some semblance of safety. When somebody's in that, you know, state, you know, from a coaching perspective and nutrition perspective, it's easy for us to provide that predictability to them, right? Of like, all right, next week, we're going to focus on this. And then the week after we're going to focus on this, right? And layer that whole process out to them. So they know what's coming next and what to focus on. But what are other ways that people can provide that sense of safety in their life or kind of move themselves through that process when they're finding themselves in it? Yeah. Well, and going back to just what you said, one of the hardest challenges that people face when they go to change their diet, change their nutrition, change any of their lifestyle factors is they've created their diet. They've created their nutrition. They've created their lifestyle habits in order to bring predictability to their life so that they know that when they eat this chocolate, they know what it will help them feel. They know that it will help them feel 
better. They know that it will help them feel numb. They know that it will help them feel whatever. So it's very predictable in terms of even the foods that we go to when we go to those foods. And yep. there are certain foods that we eat that will dampen down our anxiety, that will dampen down our trauma response. And so all of a sudden, here comes a coach and says, well, you know, we really can't eat those foods anymore. And, and even though we're providing them the structure and the predictability, in essence, we're also asking them to move away from something that has been so predictable in yep. its ability to help us manage our emotions. So that is one of the reasons why it is so challenging so challenging to actually change our diet and our nutrition habits. But thankfully, there are other ways that we can bring in safety (laughs) so that we're not just relying on that. And what I have found is that there are some very basic, I want to say, ways to connect with our body that can create safety. And I've given these, uh, I kind of call them exercises just because they are ways to connect with our body. I've given them names, things like creating space and push away and these these basic exercises that when we connect with our body in a certain way we can actually create a felt sense of safety and going back to that trauma response that is where we have to start and so especially when we are asking someone to make changes in their life that ah they're moving away from something that has been toxic like foods right toxic foods and yet predictable. So I continue to eat them. It is so helpful to be able to bring in other things that provide a sense of safety. You know, one of the the really helpful things, even though it sounds so simple, is being able to use our senses. And so you have what you see is a sense, what you smell is a sense, and what you hear is a sense. And so how can you bring things into your environment that are giving you what we call cues of safety? So that safety is not just the absence of danger. That's not going to be enough for your body. Yeah, Your body actually needs use of safety to inform it that, okay, I'm safe. So going and finding what smells really seem to land for my system and I can feel my shoulders settle. I can feel myself wanting to take that deeper breath just naturally when I smell that smell. Well, then bring that smell into your house, bring it into your office, bring it into your bedroom, like surround yourself with cues of safety. There are probably colors that also promote a sense of safety for your system and colors that tend to promote a sense of danger for your system. So provide, bring in those colors into your environment so that you're constantly, constantly, subconsciously informing your body, you're safe, you're safe you're safe. And that can make such a huge difference then because kind of underneath the surface, you're not going to be building and building and building stress, stress, stress. And then just that one more thing happens in your day and it tips you over the edge into overwhelm. When we can be providing cues of safety all throughout the day, we can actually handle that stressful email or that stressful phone call or our kid not wanting to put their shoes on or what, you know, or yeah. chopping up some food in order to eat healthy. We can handle those things because we're coming from, I've been feeling safe all day. And so I have more capacity for something that feels hard. I love that you said that too, right? It's more taking a proactive approach to providing yourself that safety, I think, versus a reactive, right? Especially because you've probably been spending a lot of time in a reactive state when we need to probably move ourselves more into that. And those sound so simple, 
right? But they can make such a huge difference. I laugh when you say that because my mentor that I work with in the first couple of years we worked together was always yelling at me to like feel my feelings and not logically think myself through my feelings because, and she'll even message me sometimes and be like, get out of your spreadsheets and get into your body. And I'm like, okay, how did you know I was in my spreadsheets? And I'm like, <laughs> um, so some of the things that we brought in that I found beneficial, but we even encourage our clients is like breath works box breathing, using little ways that they can just get back in touch with their body and how it feels. And, you know, when people will send the like, you know, urgent message of, I feel like eating this, right? And then it's like, okay, we'll take a moment, tune into how you're feeling, right? And let's listen to what your body's trying to tell you. I always tell people, I'm like, you know, emotional eating is like, you know, your boyfriend broke up with you when you're eating the pint of ice cream, but like emotional eating is also the things you don't even recognize that you're doing in the day. Like the, the random time that you're reaching for the snack at three o'clock in the afternoon, because it's just what you do at that time of the day, or you're stressed or you're bored or you're overwhelmed. And people don't always recognize that as emotional eating, but I think that's the biggest form of emotional eating that we have. Absolutely. And, you know, you really hit the nail on the head where you're talking about being able to track your system, track your body and know, wait, what's going on in my body right now that I'm reaching for this? Yeah. What is this? What am I, what am I hoping that this will help me? Am I hoping that this will give me a little energy to get to the rest of my afternoon? Am I hoping that this will help me calm down because I feel really stressed and I can't even slow my thoughts down enough to focus and I yeah. need to help. I need to focus. Like, what are you using that for to help you with? Yeah. And when we can go into the body first and, and just ask that question, like you say, Hey, what's going on in my body? Being able to get out of our heads, out of the analysis is, is what will help us in that moment. Because I've never seen anybody. I've never seen anybody <laughs> be able to calm themselves down just by telling themselves to calm down. And <laughs> I've never seen anybody being able to not eat something when everything in their body is screaming at them that eat that because it's going to help me. Yeah. L logic is not our most powerful tool. Our most yeah. powerful tool is our survival mechanisms. And so if your survival mechanisms are switched on, there is no logic that's going to be able to outpower survival. And that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the trauma response. You're talking about survival and you may think, but it's just a piece of chocolate. I know, but it's your trauma place. It's your trauma physiology that's demanding that chocolate and your brain is useless in side to side with your trauma response. So the key then is the trauma response and working with the trauma response and helping the body get out of the trauma response. Because when you do that, all of those cravings stop. You're your need to go to things to help you feel less overwhelmed goes away because you don't feel overwhelmed. And that's where you know like you're really doing the work because it just flows. You're not having to try to force yourself and pull yourself together and beat yourself up and criticize yourself, you know, all of those things that we've done when we haven't been able to change our patterns that we know are not healthy for us. Yeah. And so it's being able to drop into the body and be like, all right, all right, all right. This, this feels really big. That call to the refrigerator right now feels really big. What's going on in my body? Okay. I feel really agitated. I feel really unsettled. It just feels like it's going around in circles and circles and circles. Okay. What can I do right now to slow those circles down? 
And we get out of our heads in the sense that we stop thinking about, should I eat this? Should I not eat this? Because that's never going to win. But yeah. we use our, we take our mind and we say, mind, I want you to pay attention to these circles in the body right now. That's what I want you to pay attention to. Not this over here, not this email, not this responsibility. No, no, no. We're focusing in on what's going on in my body right now and how can I support it? Yeah. How can, and let me try different things. I don't know. Let me try, let me try to get up, walk around. Let me, let me try to just put my hands over that area where I feel these circles. Does that seem to help? No, that seems to make it worse. Okay. Well, let me stop that. Let me try something else. But being willing to get into that place of just putting our mind's attention on what's going on in my body right now. And let me try different things to be able to settle it down, to be able to calm it down, to be able to get it out of that overwhelm and provide these cues of safety that will allow my system ah, to settle in once again, be like, okay, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. When you say that too, we often, you know, we get lab testing and things on a client, whether it's an adrenal test, a GI test, or, you know, whatever it is I'm going through. And I can always see the markers that come back that are the signals of there's a lot of stress or trauma happening in the body right now. And I will try to portray to people, you know, we can take the supplements right now. We can work through the nutritional protocol, right? We can, you know, set up your sleep and do all the stuff. And I'm, but people always joke and I always call it, I'm like, here's your woo woo stuff, right? That like you have to bring in of none of this is going to work if you continue it down the same path that you're continuing down. And I think one of the toughest things, because you can't see it, right? Like you can't see like a supplement or the food that you're taking or the workout you're doing. You can't see how that stress or the trauma is manifesting itself in your body. But the further and further I go down this path and the more time I have in the industry, the more and more I'm convinced that like the nervous system response and the way that people are managing those things is the number one thing that people have to focus on before you try to get into anything else. And you can do them at the same time, right? But if you're not doing the fluff stuff, as one of our clients will call it, I'm like, we're going to get a little bit, but we're only going to get so far. And that's because the survival systems are what are driving our body, our behaviors, our thoughts, and our health. Yeah. And so if our body, like if that's the operating system, you can think of your computer as, you know, what operating system is it running? Because that will affect every single program and app that you pull up. What is the operating system? And when our operating system is constantly of danger, and then not just danger, but this is like inescapable life threat. Those are, you know, the danger is the stress response. The inescapable life threat is that trauma response. And when your body is literally constantly in that operating system, everything in your body is going to be closed down. It's going to be guarded. It's going to be defensive. Everything that you do, every intervention that you do, your body is not going to be accepting of it. It's going to be on guard because it's it's in survival mode. And so all the more important reason to shift it to what I call the safety physiology, the safety operating system. Because when our body's in a safety physiology, guess what? It's now open. Oh, you want me to take a supplement? Yeah, sure. Let's give it a try. I'm totally willing to take this in, absorb it, and let's see what happens. Let's see how it helps us. Whereas a body in a survival, 
a survival physiology is going to be like, you want, you want me to take a supplement? No, everything is danger. Everything is dangerous. I'm not going to take this in. I'm not going to accept this and bring this in for this to help us. One of the things that we talk about a lot in functional approaches, right, is how interconnected everything is in the body. And you talked about the vagal nerve earlier, right? And how that runs through and it runs into your gut. And I think we forget that often that how much stressors and and the things that we're experiencing can really play a role in how our gut is functioning and how those things can transpire. And I like to explain it to our clients of like, you know, right after my dad passed, for example, the next month, I wasn't really feeling those symptoms and things. It was six to 12 months down the road where those things are really manifesting themselves in, in my body. And I didn't put the two and two together. So for me, it was, okay, I'm still working out the same. I'm still eating the same. I've already, you know, I was a trainer and nutritionist at that point. So it's not like I was eating a pizza every night, but my body was steadily gaining weight over a four month period of time, unexplainably. And standard fitness field will say, well, then you're not in a calorie deficit, right? Just get into a calorie deficit. And luckily I knew enough to listen to my body at that point, but putting myself into a calorie deficit at that point would have added more stress onto my body. So, you know, in those cases, I think sometimes it's important people get confused and we ask, you know, what happened six months ago? What happened a year ago? What's happened in your life? You know, have you experienced any major life changes or anything like that? Because we don't necessarily correlate how my body is reacting right now to that. Absolutely. And as people go through their healing journey, there are layers that feel safe to surface based on where you're at with your health. And I've worked with countless women that as they drop the weight, their body surfaces with memories from childhood. Yeah. And so it would be pointless to ask, well, what happened last week? What happened a month ago? No, like the body stores these experiences. And as it's, as it's ready, as we are doing work in other areas, memories and experiences can surface from decades ago. And so I find it so much more helpful to just ask, what's going on in my body today? What does my body need today? Oh, it seems like my body's in a trauma response today. Okay. I don't even need to analyze where is this coming from? What happened? When did it happen? It's just like, this is where my body's at today. And thank goodness, I know the tools so that I can support my body and help it get through this. And then I can look at, why do I think that happened? What seems to be surfacing now that finally my body is ready to have us work on that? And yeah. but but while we're in the middle of a trauma response, like that is not the time. It's just the time to support our body. Love that. What are the ways that people can work with you and, and get in touch with you if they're listening to us right now and they're like, oh yeah, I need to work through this? <laughs> Yeah. So I actually have a team of biology of trauma health coaches. And so people can certainly come in and have a health coaching session that is trauma focused and looking at your nervous system. But the way that I start everybody now, everybody is with a 21 day journey where I lead them into their own nervous system so that they can become the expert in a safe way. So I walk them through what I call the essential sequence where we start with safety and then we move into support and then we move into expansion but I'm guiding them through this process so that as they're opening up, as they're connecting with their body, it's not too much. And so they're not re-traumatizing their body because a lot of therapy approaches will do that, right? Yeah. It's even, even a good thing can be too much. Yeah. And so I've started them with this because just like you've noticed, 
when they are able to connect and what I call regulate their own body and their own nervous system, their own survival operating system, primarily, it changes everything. And then everything else that we do afterwards is so much easier and takes so much less time and effort. So that's how, where I start everyone. So, and they can learn about that on my website, traumahealingaccelerated.com. And they will find information there about this 21 day journey. It is a live journey that I lead. So there are, um, uh, there is a section of that journey that they will do on their own time, but then we do meet every day for those 21 days as well, so that I can really guide them in this process of becoming their own expert of their nervous system and body. I love that. I, I like that you reference different forms, right, of moving through those things too. I've done talk therapy in the past, and I feel like it was beneficial to to work through things. But then I also reached a point with some things where I felt like I was just revisiting the same topic over and over, and just continually talking about this trauma. And I was getting to a point where, like, well, how do I move forward from this, right? Like, how do I stop revisiting this? Um, and some of the things that you do, and some of the things we've already talked about, were one of the most beneficial things that I found, and being able to regulate myself through it. Right. And not continually have like that trauma response. That's key. And that's life-changing right there. Yeah. Because not only does it, does it change your ability to be present in the moment, but it actually will change your health outcomes for the rest of your life because you're literally changing on a cellular level, the operating system of your body. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. I love this conversation. I will link everything that we've talked about today in the show notes. If you guys are driving, you can just click through that link when you're stopped, please. And then I will link ways that you can get in touch with Dr. Amy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Brooke. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. And that's it for this episode on the Power of a Woman podcast. If any part of this episode resonated with you, I would greatly appreciate you giving it a review, sharing it on your social media, and tagging me for another woman who may need to hear it too. If changing the narrative is something you're ready to take action on, my coaching programs are set up to help you do just that. We will address the nutrition, movement, lifestyle, stress, gut health, and hormonal needs that you individually have as a woman so that we can help you feel your absolute best and own your power too. Connect with me on Instagram at Brooke Razzie or head over to my website at brookrazzie.com to learn more.